Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we aim to inspire you, to connect you with like-minded colleagues, to innovate and push you out of your comfort zone, to create robust debate, to encourage lifelong learning, and to empower you to create more impact as a dietitian. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where you're listening today. I'm recording this from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And I'd like to extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm Jane Winter from Dietitian Connection and I'm an accredited practicing dietitian. This podcast episode is supported by Nestle Nutrition Institute. The podcast is not and is not intended to be medical advice, which should be tailored to individual circumstances. The podcast is for information only and we advise that you exercise your own judgment before deciding to use any of the information provided. Professional medical advice should always be obtained before taking action. Now, today we're going to take a close look at vitamin D in the context of maternal and infant health. And vitamin D seems to be quite the hot topic in the world of vitamins um, because it has such broad effects and has even been spotlighted during the COVID pandemic. And this always leads to the question of when and if supplementation is required. And when we're looking at nutrients for pregnant or lactating women, potentially any deficiencies in the mum not only impact her, but will impact her baby as well. And so I'm really pleased to welcome Professor Craig Munns to help us explore this topic in a bit more detail today. Professor Munns is the head main academy of paediatrics and director child health research centre at the University of Queensland. He's also a senior medical officer, Department of Endocrinology at Queensland Children's Hospital. His primary clinical and research interest is the diagnosis and management of primary and secondary paediatric bone disorders. He's published widely on nutritional rickets, genetic rickets, osteoporosis and osteogenesis imperfecta. He's undertaken numerous clinical trials of novel therapies in paediatric bone disease and their implementation in practice. Professor Munns is heavily involved in enabling clinical trials in advanced therapeutics, including cell and gene therapy. So we'd really like to welcome you um, to our Dietitian Connection podcast today, Craig. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jane. It's a pleasure. So to start off, I'm always interested in people's background and, and how you came to be involved in vitamin D research. And I guess, I'm guessing, when you started, vitamin D might not have been the hot topic it is is these days. Um, how did you find yourself in vitamin D research? Um, Jane, so I found myself in vitamin D research out of both interest and necessity. Um, I've had a, a long interest in paediatric bone disease from when I first started training in endocrinology and uh, I found myself uh, fortunate to be doing a postdoctoral uh, fellowship in Canada uh, where they were undertaking uh, research into vitamin D uh, because of the incidence of rickets. And so after being in, in Canada and getting an interest in vitamin D there, I came back to Australia to, to find um, that there was an alarmingly large number of children presenting uh, with nutritional rickets at a very young age, and children, including children having complications such as hypocalcemic seizure. So there was a, a clinical need to 
try and better understand the incidence uh, of nutritional rickets in Australia. And that led uh, me to undertake a, a study with the Australian Pediatric Surveillance Unit um, into nutritional rickets. Um, with colleagues, I then, um, I then wrote um, a number of guidelines which culminated in the international guidelines uh, from 2016 on the prevention and treatment of nutritional rickets. And that would probably surprise a lot of people to know that rickets is actually um, a problem in Australia. I mean, I guess we don't necessarily associate it with our what we would consider our well-nourished um, children. Um, so can you give us a bit of a background on where infants actually get their vitamin D from? Yeah, thanks, Jane. So um, a baby in utero gets all its vitamin D from its mother. So uh, at birth, um, a baby's vitamin D level is about 75% that of its mother's. Um, if, so therefore, if, if a child's mother is vitamin D deficient during pregnancy, the baby is born vitamin D deficient. Now, we're made to get vitamin D from the sun. The sun hits the skin and makes vitamin D. And because of that, there's very little vitamin D in breast milk. So if a baby is born vitamin D deficient and is breastfed, as is the recommendation, then that baby will remain vitamin D deficient. And every day their vitamin D level will drop further and further and further. So even if a baby is born with normal vitamin D, eight weeks later their vitamin D level is half of what it was at birth. And so just do we know um, how often mums are vitamin D deficient? Like is that a routine measurement or not? Um it's getting increasingly measured routinely. There are data to show um, the instance of vitamin D deficiency. For example, um, at Westmead down in Sydney, about 40% of uh, pregnant women presenting to Westmead um, Hospital were vitamin D deficient. Wow. Similar numbers in Campbelltown. Even more in Adelaide, where um, over 70% of children of uh, of women presenting um, to the antenatal clinical vitamin D deficient. And that, that does uh, vary. Uh, up in Brisbane, for example, um, this is some time ago now, uh, about 90% of women presenting to antenatal clinic actually had sufficient vitamin D. So it, it does vary depending on where you live in Australia, between um, 10 and up to 70% of uh, pregnant women presenting to antenatal clinic are vitamin D deficient. Wow. So if that baby's born potentially with vitamin D deficiency because their mum was deficient um, and then they go on to be breastfed and their mum obviously continues to be deficient, um, then they're, they're at high risk, I gather. Absolutely. So the risk of, they're at risk of, um, of getting uh, rickets, um, within the first uh, few months of life. Um, and in those situations, that's when children at the highest risk are presenting with not only the, the, the bony complications, but the extrascletal complications of rickets, such as hypocalcemic seizure, cardiomyopathy, uh, and so on. Yeah. So, um, so just thinking about the sources of vitamin D again, it's for the infants, it's really the, the mother. Um, and then sunlight Correct. after they're born. Correct. Um, if, a, if a baby is bottle fed, 
then um, infant formula in Australia does have vitamin D in it, but that's not a reason to bottle feed no. the baby. No. Um, and similarly, to get adequate vitamin D from bottle feeding, a baby has to be having a litre of formula a day and not just drinking a litre of formula a day but keeping down a litre mm. of formula a day and absorbing all of that. So um, it is it is difficult uh, for babies to get adequate vitamin D not to become deficient unless they're, you know, getting exposure to, to sunlight with then the complications associated with that as well. And do babies get tested? So if a mother is known to be vitamin D deficient, I assume that she's given supplementation um, during pregnancy. But if she has had a record of being vitamin D deficient during pregnancy, do the babies get tested for it or not? Um, really there's no need to test the baby. You And just going back, Jane, you would hope that the mother is, is treated for vitamin mm. D deficiency. Um, I've worked with the uh, some of the um, nutritional companies, multivitamin companies now to make sure there's adequate vitamin D in the pregnancy multivitamins. Right. So um, the recommendation is that all pregnant women should be getting 1,000 units of vitamin D per day, and that should hopefully keep the mother vitamin D sufficient. But irrespective of whether the baby is born deficient or not, there are good data to show that if a baby gets 400 units of vitamin D per day from birth, that will prevent them getting rickets, irrespective of what their starting vitamin D level is. So to that end, there's no need to, to check the baby necessarily, um, which a lot of our families will think is a good thing. Mm, yeah. Um, but uh, if if that child is getting 400 units a day yeah. of vitamin D supplementation. So you mentioned um, some of the, the complications of um, vitamin D deficiency. It's not just um, rickets. Can you just run us through again some of those other complications that you're talking about? The more serious, or uh, rickets are serious, obviously, but yeah. obviously very serious complications of vitamin D. And I think most people probably only associate rickets with vitamin D deficiency. Sure. So there are the skeletal complications of, of, of rickets and um, that can lead in itself to um, bowing of the legs, to, to pathological fracture and sort of a soft sc uh, skull that's almost like a ping pong ball called craniotabes. Then there are the, the metabolic um, complications of nutritional rickets and that's hypocalcemic seizure or seizures due to low blood calcium. Um, tetany, which is spasms of the, of the muscles, so neonatal tetany, and laryngospasm, which is where there's spasm of the larynx and the baby can have problems breathing. Then there's the growth and developmental issues, um, things such as failure to thrive, generalized developmental delay due to muscle and bone weakness. Um, hypocalcemia can lead to cardiomyopathy, and there are reports of children dying from um, uh, cardiomyopathy associated with nutritional rickets. There's issues around enamel formation. So there's even if you treat the rickets, then the child can often have abnormalities with their teeth. And there's a very strong association between uh, nutritional rickets and iron deficiency anemia. 
Uh, and it's difficult to know whether that's an association or if there is actually a, a cause and effect there as well. And you mentioned you're calling it nutritional rickets, which implies there's another kind of rickets. So there are um, genetic forms of rickets. Right. And, um, as, a, as a pointy-headed bone doctor, I find those fascinating. <laughs> well. um, they're things like um, stuff like X-linked hypophosphatemic rickets where the body makes um, too much of a, of a hormone called FGF23 and that makes the body unable to hold on to phosphate. Uh, and there's various forms of those. So you can basically break rickets down into nutritional rickets and genetic rickets, whether it's either a problem with um, the, the renal handling of phosphate or an abnormality of the vitamin D pathway. Right. So if we're talking um, nutritional rickets then, we're talking um, vitamin D deficiency. Is the treatment just vitamin D supplementation? No, so um, Jane, I've called it nutritional rickets on purpose because there's two players in this. One is vitamin D and the other one is dietary calcium intake. It is possible to get nutritional rickets even with adequate levels of vitamin D if your dietary calcium intake is very, very low. The um, In your introduction, you mentioned that vitamin D has gained a lot of interest recently because of its extraskeletal effects, and that's because vitamin D really is a hormone. Mm. Um, but the only thing I can really put my hand on my heart and say I know vitamin D does is um, facilitate calcium absorption from the gut. So um, if your vitamin D level is low but you have really, really good dietary calcium intake, you can still absorb enough calcium to get by. But similarly, if you have a normal vitamin D level but absolutely no calcium in the diet, then you won't absorb enough calcium. Yeah. You're most likely to get nutritional rickets when you have coexistent vitamin D deficiency with dietary calcium deficiency. So that's where taking a proper dietary history is very important whenever talking about vitamin D to make sure that you know what the child or uh, adults' uh, dietary calcium intake is like. Yeah, so um, if you uh, a child has rickets and they are supplemented with whatever is required, vitamin D, calcium, is rickets completely reversible? Um, yes, it is completely reversible, Jane, but you can be left with um, uh, permanent deformity of the limbs it usually does reverse completely, but I've seen a number of children who have needed orthopedic surgery once the rickets has been healed to correct the limb deformity. Yeah. So it is it is reversible, but most importantly, it's a hundred percent preventable. Yeah. And that's yeah. where we need to put our efforts. So um so as you say, like it's treatable, um, but Prevention is the really key point here because obviously you can save a lot of time, money, emotional heartache um, and medical interventions by preventing it. So for dietitians who are most of our audience, what would you say to them is their role um, in, in this prevention of rickets? The role of the dietitian in prevention of rickets is raising awareness um, both at the individual level and at the community level. Um, there are groups in our society who are at greater risk of vitamin D deficiency. And uh, the, the, the largest group are those with, um, with darker skin. The, the darker your skin, the longer you need to be out in the sun to make the same amount of vitamin D, so the greater your risk of nutritional rickets. Right. Or vitamin D deficiency and then nutritional rickets. 
So raising awareness is very important. Um, other groups uh, at, at risk uh, are those who avoid uh, sun for, for cultural reasons, um, people who uh, cover up, uh, most often seen for, for those who, for traditional uh, religious reasons, um, cover. And then also those who are unwell. Um, for, for example, those uh, children who um, have a disability and don't get out mm. in, in the sun. But the, the role there is to make sure that all those uh, groups and you know, ch children and adults in general are having adequate vitamin D supplementation. Uh, and that would be 400 units a day for children and 1,000 units a day for uh, pregnant women. And um, checking their calcium intake as well. Exactly, checking yeah. their dietary calcium intake. The so, other, sorry, go on. Sorry, I was going to say the, the, the other role that uh, um, you know, would be wonderful for, for dietitians to take the lead on is um, a push for vitamin D fortification uh, within foods. Countries like Canada, uh, United States, United Kingdom, they do fortify uh, staples with, with vitamin D. Now, we fortify folate mm. um, to prevent uh, spina bifida. We should be thinking about fortifying um, milk, for example, to try and um, eradicate nutritional rickets. And is um, if if dietitians are seeing um, a uh, mother who is breastfeeding, is that is there any risks associated with supplementation of vitamin D while they're breastfeeding? No, not at all. That's exactly when you should do it. So, what we should be doing is we should be supplementing all children for the first twelve months of life with four hundred units a day, and that's irrespective of whether they're breast or bottle fed. Um, even if a um, an infant is is fully bottle fed. There is no uh, risk of supplementing them with 400 units of vitamin D per day. And if we did that for the first 12 months of life, we would all but eradicate nutritional rickets. And so you mentioned um, other countries. Can you tell us routine supplementation um, does happen? Is standard practice in other countries, is it? Yes, so routine supplementation occurs in um, Canada, uh, in most of Europe, including the United Kingdom. Um, in some parts of the United States. So in a way where the um, odd ones out, and I think a lot of that has come from the fact that people think there's lots of sun in Australia. Yes. And if there's lots of sun, then people are getting lots of sun. But up in Brisbane today, it has been the most glorious day and I have spent all of it inside. Mm. Um our lifestyle has changed. We're seeing more, and um, you know, as people uh, move around uh, the globe, there's um, you know more people who are at higher risk of getting vitamin D deficiency and nutritional rickets throughout communities. So we need to to think about the changing lifestyle we've had and the reason there has been a resurgence in nutritional rickets and address that. And I guess in Australia, we've always had that 
that counterbalance, haven't we, of this the um, sun precautions um, mm. and the cover-up at all expenses and at all times versus this um, increasing prevalence and incidence of vitamin D deficiency in our population? Absolutely. Well, you know, from a pragmatic perspective, it's easier to treat vitamin D deficiency than melanoma. So um, fully endorsed slip, slop, slap. Yes. Uh, but we have to think of what else can we do then, and it's supplement with vitamin D. And just out of interest, and I guess this is probably more anecdotal than um, anything that's published, during all the lockdowns, and I guess particularly I'm in Melbourne where we're hit pretty hard by lockdowns during COVID, um, did you see um, increased um, rates of vitamin D deficiency um, over those the past two years? I must say we did. We, there did appear to be an increase in the amount of children or the number of children we were seeing with full-blown nutritional rickets. Wow. Um, we were seeing a lot, a lot of children um, coming in with with nutritional rickets. You know, so when, when when I say a lot, you know, it's ten to fifteen per year, and that's just to to my institution. Mm. Um, that's not. Um, to say that, you know, as we've published these guidelines, more and more paediatricians are feeling comfortable treating themselves, which is great. Um, so, you know, it's it's definitely around. So you say that you've published guidelines now recommending um, routine supplementation um, in pregnancy, lactation and in infants. Um, it's still taking a little while to to get up there? Is, is that what you're telling me, that you're still seeing that it's not necessarily yeah. standard practice? Yeah, it's not. Um, it's getting increasingly adopted at the local hospital and um, health district level. Uh, it's been some difficulty in getting it adopted at a as a statewide policy level, but um, increasingly, I'm very pleased to say that that most of most Sydney hospitals now and down in Melbourne, increasingly now. Um, they're also starting to to supplement pregnant women and recommend it for um, for infants for the first twelve months of life. Yeah. So for the dietitians, and as I said, it's predominantly dietitians who are our audience listening today. What do you want to really drive home as the the take home messages for them um, today? Sure. So um, I guess the take home messages are firstly that nutritional rickets. Is a thing. Um, we're seeing it uh, not just something you see in the medical textbook. Correct. It's something. It's something that you see um, in clinic. Thankfully, it still is relatively uncommon, and we want to keep it that way. We want to make it less and less common. Mm. Um, it is fully preventable. Is the real take-home message. And it is fully preventable by supplementing all infants for the first 12 months of life with 400 units of vitamin D, supplementing all pregnant women with 1,000 units a day of vitamin D, and then supplementing all at-risk groups for life. Uh, and if we were to do that, we would all but eradicate um, nutritional rickets. When you do see a child and you are thinking of vitamin D, also talk about dietary calcium intake uh, and if they're seeing a child with especially who you think might have some sort of milk allergy yes. always think about them where are they going to get their calcium from 
uh, because it's not all just vitamin D. And there are a lot of children who are taken off um, cow's milk or dairy for for reasons which occasionally various reasons <laughs> various reasons <laughs> but but if you're doing that think where are they going to get their calcium from you've got to eat an awful lot of broccoli to get the same amount of, of calcium in your diet yeah and i think that's a good point from dietitians who might be trying to talk to clients about this is that there are really really serious ramifications it's not just not quite meeting your dietary requirements like this has when you've got the children who are developing um it's really important that they're getting their calcium Absolutely, absolutely. Because there are, you know, osteoporosis, like adult osteoporosis, it's a paediatric disorder that presents in adult life. Yes. You get osteoporosis as an adult because you don't form your bones properly during childhood. So we've got to think about the future of these children, you know, 50 years from when you're actually seeing them, as well as, well as the immediate nutritional rickets thing. Think of their bone health down the track. Yeah, so I think, you know, dietitians, um, particularly uh, well, in clinics, in hospitals, will see these patients, but a lot of dietitians will see a lot of pregnant women outside of um, hospitals in just who might come along for just general dietary advice. And it's, as you pointed out, it's a really good opportunity for dietitians to talk to them about supplementing routinely. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily need to go and get a blood test, just supplement um, through their pregnancy and through their lactation um, yeah. and and also look at su supplementing their infant. And uh, you've got me. I've got it firmly in my brain. It's a 1,000 units for adults and for the mum and it's 400 units for the baby. Um, so uh, that's my lesson from today. Um, but uh, so I think that's that's really important and, as you say, an entirely preventable condition um, that we can already work towards eradicating. Exactly right. So, look, thank you for time. And, and I guess, Craig, this is where we've we've actually um, taken this from uh, the, a lot of sort of the points from a webinar that you presented for us at Dietitian Connection last year. So um, if anyone's listening and wants some more of the detail, wants some more of the research, then they can go back to the Dietitian Connection website um, and search for um, Craig's webinar that he presented and you'll get more details there. Um, so we'd like to thank Nestle Nutrition Institute for supporting the episode today and very much thank Craig for his time and really clear explanation on nutritional records. No, thank you, Jane. It was a pleasure. To get all of the links and resources we discussed in this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review and a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. Tell us what you thought of this episode, what you learnt, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We value hearing from you, and we really appreciate your feedback. So please, please hit that review button.